This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. My name is Kurt Angle. Tonight I face Rob Van Dam. If I beat Rob Van Dam, I'll earn the right to compete for the WWE Championship at Saturday night's main event. But you already knew that. What you probably don't know is, since April 2nd, I consider every day a failure. Because April 2nd, WrestleMania, was the last day I held a championship belt. And every single night, I come home, and my wife kisses me. And my three-year-old girl, my little girl, looks me in the eyes, and she hugs me. And I put this fake smile on my face. But inside, I hate myself because I am a champion. I am the greatest champion this business has ever seen. And if getting the chance to be a champion again means taking Rod Van Dam, a man I personally have no problem with, and beating on him so badly and putting him in such agonizing pain, he prays to God to go back in time so he can choose another line of work, then that's what I'll do. It's what I have to do. Because failure is not an option. Not when your name is Kurt Angle. We find the defendants Crime time, baby. Fear money. Nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. Sorry about your damn luck. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 82, and it is a look at the themes of Kurt Angle. And to help me do that is a returning guest here on the show. He is the current Impact Wrestling reviewer, Voices of Wrestling. It's Andrew Sinclair. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Pleasure to be back on. Yeah, I'm glad you're back here on the show. Absolutely, of course. Um, how are you uh, coping with this brave new world of ours? Are you holding up okay? <laughs> yeah, all good. I'm very busy with the company I work for, so that at least keeps me you know, out of mischief uh, during the day. And you know, I think it's just a case of taking it day by day and, and cracking on with it, but can't complain too much so far. Yeah, same here. Same here. I mean, uh, thankfully, everything is okay with me and my family, um, you know, health-wise, which is good, of course. Um, I mean, really, it's all just pretty amazing and, and bizarre to see how different everything is now and, and how fast it changed. You know, that's the power of a pandemic. Things change rather quickly. Um, I still have a job, which is, is good, of course. I still have income coming in. Um, you know, it, it's a cliche saying, Andrew, but you got to take it one day at a time, you know. Oh, definitely. Same here. So, again, lucky to, you know, have health for both, you know, me and me and those close to me. And also, you know, I've got a job that is, you know, really secure at the moment, which is obviously a massive bonus. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the real bright side in all this, I think, uh, truly, 
um, is that season nine of Call the Midwife is airing right now in America. And if anyone can get us through this crisis, Andrew, it's Nurse Crane and the girls. Am I right? Come on now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nurse Crane is a personal inspiration of mine. So, <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, you won't be disappointed with season nine. We had that in the UK earlier in the year and it was a, a delight. So. Mm, can't wait to to see how it all turns out. That's for sure. But uh, but uh, but anyway, anyway, uh, as I said, uh, today we are discussing the themes of a wrestling legend, a Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. Um, a, l- a little strange timing wise, considering that uh, Kurt just got fired from WWE yesterday, as we're recording this, um, along with uh, some other people. But uh, we'll soldier on regardless. Here, um, you know, Kurt. You know, he's a guy who won about 8,000 championships in his pro wrestling career. Also a guy who won a gold medal in the Olympics with a broken freaking neck, as <laughs> he is wont to tell people. And, and Andrew, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here for this episode um, is that Kurt spent, you know, a rather large chunk of his career in TNA slash Impact. You know, I'm sure most people out there know Kurt for his WWE run, but that, that initial run there lasted about mm, like seven years or so. From his official debut on screen to the time he left in, in 06, um, eight if you count developmental, but his TNA run actually lasted a little over nine years. And throughout that time period, he was naturally, you know, one of the company's biggest stars. So you really can't tell the story of Kurt Angle without spending a large chunk of it on TNA. No, definitely not. And I think, you know, I think my first exposure to Kurt Angle was 2004 when he was doing the, you know, he was putting his uh, Olympic medal on the line and doing the, the medal invitational. Uh, and then I sort of followed that. And then I sort of fell out of love with wrestling for a couple of years. And when I came back to it, it was sort of 2009. I was watching an awful lot of TNA and obviously he was, you know, the flagship guy, him and AJ Styles. So, you know, I then sort of saw the whole sort of, you know, six and a half years from then on uh, in TNA. So, yeah, I mean, the majority of my exposure to him, and my knowledge of him is from then and that period. And, you know, matches with Desmond Wolf and Bobby Roode and, Obviously, the, you know, the iconic feud with Samoa Joe as well. Yeah, I have been following him since 2003. So, you know, the Brock Lesnar feud, um, the stuff he did with John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit, Undertaker, Rey Mysterio, uh, Shawn Michaels, all those guys, you know. And then, yeah, he moved on to TNA and had those great matches with AJ and, and like you said, Joe, Wolf, uh, Jeff Hardy. The list goes on and on, which is no surprise given who Kurt Angle was. You know, anyone worth their salt will tell you that Kurt Angle is one of the best wrestlers of all time. Not just in terms of his in-ring work, which is incredible, but his character work, his promo work as well, just as fantastic. And the versatility, too. I mean, you know, Kurt wasn't just put in one little box. He could be a good guy, he could be a bad guy, serious, vicious, goofy, funny as all hell. Horny for Booker T's wife, Charmel. <laughs> you know, his his range as a, a character is very impressive, um, especially considering that he's someone who came from a very, you know, serious amateur wrestling background. You know, he, he trained at the, uh, the Fox Catcher camp, uh, moved on to the Olympics from there, and he didn't really think all that highly of pro wrestling at first. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure going to that uh, ECW show in '96 and seeing Raven crucify the Sandman that one time <laughs> didn't help matters all that much. But eventually, he did come around to it, and obviously, he took to it like a duck to water. I mean, yeah, he's he's one of the most natural guys to ever do it. it the transition from the amateur stuff to the you know the pro wrestling side of things for him was so seamless, and you know, he was just naturally, especially in the earlier years. He was just naturally despisable. 
because obviously he was able to convey that you know you know you don't boo an Olympic champion you know in his first ever match with Sean Stasiak gets that grabs a mic and everyone's just calling him boring and he was like you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist and then gets back in the ring and wins um yeah so he had that but then obviously he had the repertoire you know vocalist Kurt Angle as well he's a sexy Kurt he's gonna make your uncle <laughs> hurt um he loves his milk this Kurt Angle um, you know, all of that stuff was great. And then, you know, he did the whole thing with, you know, putting the medal on the line and the title feuds that he mentioned. And obviously then he left it and went to TNA. But also there was the team angle stuff as well when he was like, you know, helping like Charlie Haas and Shot Menjamin come through as well, which was cool. Yeah, you mentioned the word natural. Um, I mean, that's as good a description as you can give to Kurt Angle, I think, because, you know, just how good he was right away. Um, like he had a year developmental and then he debuts at Survivor Series 99, and he's just, like, right on the ball from the jump. And I think, you know, the idea of turning him into this, you know, very obnoxious, cocky, American hero character who thinks he's better than everybody else, you know, it's a rather brilliant twist on a classic gimmick. Because, let's not forget here, Kurt Angle really did win an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. I mean, this guy is tailor-made to be a white-meat, all-American babyface. But it's the Attitude Era, and the fans boo him because he's a boring amateur wrestling square, and they go with it. And Kurt, to his credit, works with the character, and he works it to a T and gets it super over. And you pair that with his you know, incredible in-ring talents, it's no wonder that within a year of his on-screen debut, he's the European champion, he's the IC champion, he wins King of the Ring, he made event SummerSlam, and then he wins the world title from The Rock. I mean, that's a hell of a first year right there, Andrew. Well, yeah, and I think something I noticed that was interesting watching back that match with um, Stasiak at Survivor Series 99, when Howard Finkel, who sadly passed away the, the day we're recording this, he announces him as the most celebrated real athlete in the WWE, or WWF as it was at the time. It's sort of flavour of the month right now, well, not right now, uh, but before kind of everything stopped, MMA style, you know, real fighter gimmick. You had people like Killer Cross, Timothy Thatcher, Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey, Matt Riddle, all of those guys came from that, or guys and girls came from that background. And they were suddenly the new thing, the interesting thing. And they've become this new, you know, real fighters are better than pro wrestlers type gimmick. And him and Ken Shamrock were like so ahead of the curve when it comes to that, because they were doing it in the 90s and they were such a change of pace from everything else, they were bona fide athletes in another sport who were very, very competent at wrestling and weren't a Lawrence Taylor or someone like that. Yeah, there's a reason why long before he was Shorty G, uh, people were making comparisons of Chad Gable to being the next Kurt Angle. You know, that mold of the legitimate Olympic level athlete who could also be very entertaining as well and very charismatic and, and very funny and versatile, that really started with Kurt. I mean, Ken Shamrock, yeah, he had the MMA background, of course, but Ken was, you know, usually put in that role of the, you know, the super aggressive rage monster a lot of times, mm. which which he was good at. To be fair, he was good at that, but Kurt could be an all-rounder and fill many different roles. So, yeah, we'll talk some more here about Kurt as we go along, of course, but uh, more importantly, we'll talk about Kurt's entrance music. And, uh, you know, it's funny, we have seven songs on the docket here, but uh, technically, uh, we're only talking about, like, two or three songs in general, 
and the rest are just kind of you know remixes and remix and so forth. So this will not be uh, the deepest or most diverse episode of the podcast, but I think Kurt's a big enough name and a big enough topic that people will tune in regardless, Andrew. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the the first one we're going to talk about is the one that I remember when I saw him the first time, and I thought, like, what a despisable guy. What a douche. And then... <laughs> You know, that sentiment was shared by my grandma who I watched wrestling with when I was younger. And she sort of was like, oh, he's horrible. I don't like that Kurt Angle bloke. Um, and then the TNA ones are obviously, you know, very symbolic. You hear the first couple of, you know, first couple of beats of that song and you're like, bang, I know who that is. And it takes me certainly to a different place and different time of, you know, being exposed to that TNA run. This episode of Music of the Mat is brought to you by Roman. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say, Sid Vicious? 22! No, that's not it. Uh, what about you, Boogeyman? 30. That's close, but still not it. What say you, Mean Gene Okerlund? 93,173! Okay, you're slightly off there with that one. Americans actually have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment for that ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building up a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your very own home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment that you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free, that's right, free online visit, and you'll hear back from a US licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free, that's right, free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, hey, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime you want. So, if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Again, that's GetRoman.com slash VOW for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. So we'll start off with Kurt's first theme, which he got when he debuted at Survivor Series 99. And it's the song that has become one of the most integral parts of Kurt's legacy and character. It's by Jim Johnston off of WWF The Music Volume 5. This is Metal.
So for a lot of wrestlers, you know, their first wrestling theme typically isn't the one that works the best for them or people remember the most fondly. You know, usually it takes a couple to get really going in that sense, but with Kurt, that is not true at all. I mean, this is as perfect a first theme as you can ask for in terms of getting across the tone and character of a wrestler, as well as their real-life backstory, too. You know, you hear this, the horns, the synth horns, all that stuff, you get that Olympic feel. You get that big-time sports athlete feel. Someone who you're supposed to take seriously as a real, bona fide, high-level athlete. And I think the fact that this theme, you know, has endured for so long, and that it can really work for Kurt, whether he's a heel or a face, I think that speaks just how memorable and just how great this theme song is, Andrew. Definitely, and I think one of the things I've always felt has made a theme song profound or successful has been it catches you right away. There's either a dramatic sound, you know, you think of Stone Cold with the glass shattering. Something like that, that at the start, instantly, your brain goes, right, I know who that is. You're immediately able to recognise and gauge who they are. And the pop is natural because you're like, right, that's Kurt. I'm going to boo, cheer, whatever. Um, and his theme music does that. You know, it's dramatic from the start. There's that kind of dun-dun, dun-dun, obviously, you suck. But that bit at the start is instantly recognisable. You know, it's loud, it's clear, and it's significant. There's a beat to it. There's a rhythm to it. Where sometimes a wrestler's initial theme song will be quite bland. So you don't necessarily associate the theme song with someone and feel a particular emotional response at the start. It's their work that, you know, gets them over and elicits that response. And then the theme music will usually change down the line when their status and push has changed. But with his, you know, you have got those horns. It just feels significant. Him coming to the ring feels like an occasion. And from the start, you immediately associate that beginning with Kurt Ankle, the Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, it's very much a momentous, big deal kind of theme song, one that, that feels pretty epic. And that goes with the Olympic vibes, of course. But there's also the patriotic aspect to it as well. You know, when you've got in Kurt's, you know, Titan Drawn video, the red, white, and blue color scheme, the American flags in there, the stars are everywhere. Kurt's got the red, white, and blue pyro during his entrance. He's got the red, white, and blue gear on as well. You know, it all ties into him being this patriotic American hero. And really, if you have someone like Kurt Angle, a legit American Olympic athlete, it makes all the sense in the world to lean into that and to give him this kind of music because he already stands out with his background, so let the music stand out too. Don't just give him a standard rock theme or a standard metal theme or hip-hop or whatever, just like the other roster members have. Give him this music, which will accentuate that his character not only comes from a legitimate background, he thinks he's above everybody because of that. He's better than Rock and Austin and Triple H and all those guys because, damn it, he's an Olympic American gold medalist hero. It all works so well, Andrew. Definitely. And I think part of what made it successful as well was, you know, the You Suck chant catching on very quickly. And then it, the song became even more memorable for, you know, the interludes being You Suck and working perfectly to that. I think it made sense that then the theme song would just stay because it had immediately resonated with people and generate a response but it does feel kind of ceremonial and important it is so different from the you know we're not quite in the new metal phase of the theme music at that point but it's still sort of very generic across the board and at that point the rosters were so bloated with people that were you know highly unmemorable um 
he's felt very different. It feels like a change of pace and he feels very important. Yeah, the You Suck chance, really one of the happier accidents in wrestling history, I would think, because obviously Jim Johnston did not write this song and the melody of the song for the purposes of Kurt to get those chants. I mean, he didn't even write it for Kurt to begin with. But, you know, I, I did a little digging. It looks like one SmackDown in, like, January or February of 01, some fans started chanting You Suck to Kurt's music. And over time, it slowly picked up speed to now where everybody does it, whether he's a face or a heel. And and Kurt even did a song for WWE Originals based on that chant, which if you want to hear this podcast break down that awful, awful song, you can. <laughs> There's an episode all about that album. But but yeah, it's just one of those moments in wrestling history where it's just it's pure happenstance and it all works out so well. 100%. And I think obviously... It was January 01. That came right after that, you know, that bumpy year in 2000 where, you know, he lost his first singles match to Taz at the Royal Rumble and then went on that hot tear, won, you know, as we said earlier, European belt in February. He won the IC at No Way Out in 2000, then went on and won King the Ring. And suddenly there was this dramatic ascent up the card and he wasn't losing tag matches with Steve Blackman and, and working house shows and short singles matches anymore. Right, right. And uh, I brought up that this song wasn't originally made for Kurt uh, to begin with. It was actually used by two other wrestlers prior to Kurt using it, uh, both in 97. First, it was the Patriot, Del Wilkes. And then it was Sergeant Slaughter, who, like Kurt, are also two patriotic characters. Um, but I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find someone who hears this song and goes, Ah, yes, the Patriot and Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> uh, a, because the Patriot was such a short-lived character in WWF. Um, and B, Sergeant Slaughter, definitely more of a military music kind of guy than he is an Olympic music kind of guy, Andrew. Yeah, definitely. I think you wouldn't sit and think, it was better for either of those two than Kurt either because, you know, Slaughter was more of a marching band type song, whereas Kurt's was, you know, this was an Olympic style. Yes, it was patriotic and, you know, you had the stars and stripes everywhere, but this was more, you know, this was an athletic thing rather than the stomping of boots and the carrying of flags, which obviously Sergeant Slaughter's thing, other than when he changed his allegiance. Right, right. So, metal is Kurt's primary WWE theme. I think we all know that. But there have been a few times where he got some new music. Uh, well, well, technically new music. Uh, it, it's the same song, pretty much, but with some changes. The first one is called I Don't Suck, and he used two versions of it. The naming of these versions is a little weird, because the one they call the remix was used first, but it was released years after the second version was released, if that makes sense. So the first one here, Kurt used for like a week in December of 01. It's off of WWE Uncaged 8. This is I Don't Suck Olympic Remix.
So this is a pretty good example of Jim Johnston doing some tinkering with a song, as he liked to do. Um, I mean, he didn't need to tinker with metal. It's pretty damn perfect as it is. But as we see here, it's the same melody and the same structure as metal, but they've slowed down the tempo. That's the first big change. And it's really an inverse of sorts in terms of the instrumentation, because in metal, you've got the horns and the synths taking prominence with the classic Jim Johnston metal guitars and percussion in the background, giving it some support. Here, it's reversed, where the guitar and the percussion take center stage and really overpower the horns, which you can barely hear. And as someone who is so used to hearing the Kurt Angle WWE theme the usual way for so long, it's very jarring to hear this different version, Andrew. Yeah, there is a real step change to this one. I, you know, I'd never heard this one before because I just remembered the first one and I assumed he'd used that all the way through. Um, but I think there is a real edge to this one that you don't necessarily get with the other one. You know, at the start, the what it made me think of was like your beatboxing type beat. You know, it was quite intense, quite kind of guttural in a way, and it, it's quite in your face in, in a way that the other one isn't in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Probably trying to, you know, give Kurt more of an edge and give this song more of a, a harder sound to it that is more in tune with the time period and fits with the other metal and hip-hop songs that are being used at this time. Um, so that makes sense in a way, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, the main thing, you know, looking back when it was used, doing a, a bit of research, you know, that was after just after he'd lost to Austin at Vengeance. And the people he wrestled, or he would have wrestled, with that theme music, he had a singles match on Raw against Rikishi, and then a tag match on SmackDown with William Regal against Edge and Rikishi. So what, I guess this is a question, I mean, it is a question for you. What was the significance in him changing to that song for that week? I don't know. <laughs> Jim Johnston, you know, he, he's a guy who likes to make 50 different versions of the Rock's theme or Undertaker's theme. And he's trying to experiment with different variations of songs and different layers of sounds. And most of the time, these versions only last like a week or two and go away, you know, and I guess that's what's going on here, you know, where they wanted to try something new with Kurt's theme and it didn't matter who his opponent was that week. They just wanted to try something new with his theme song. Um, so I think that's what happened here. They just wanted to try out this new version of Kurt's theme and um, it didn't last long. So there you go. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I get you there. Okay. I just, yeah, I suppose it was one of those things where I saw it was a week and I thought, well, maybe it was for a reason type that, you know, the whole sexy Kurt era, but that was later. So yeah, I suppose that does make sense, though. That is a, you know, from the knowledge that I have of the music, which obviously pales in comparison to yours, I do know that Johnson used to play around and would have several versions of the same. So I can understand it was a, a trial one. And maybe, you know, it just Kurt wasn't happy with it. Maybe he even wasn't happy with it. And that's why they kind of changed to like the other remix that then followed. And then they went back to the original one. Yeah, the second version of this, uh, which we'll play right now, uh, Kurt also used it for about a week in December of 01. So a quick turnaround here. This is off of WWE Anthology. It's just called I Don't Suck.
So not much different than the Olympic Remix. Uh, it starts off the same as metal with the slowed down tempo, but then it goes into the rock stuff from there um, when it hits the main melody. There may be a few other tiny changes here and there, but it's mostly the same. And if you look at the two songs and the way that they're laid out here with this hard rock instrumentation, again, probably trying to give Kurt more of an edge, but really it's not that necessary, I don't think. I mean, the theme is fine as it is, and Kurt definitely isn't someone who needs help showing an edge because he can do that on his own just fine. You know, when, when Kurt Angle wants to dial up the aggression and the intensity, he can do that real well. So really, these theme songs, while not terrible, they're just not necessary at all, Andrew. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you on the necessary thing because, again, I mean, the main difference I noticed to the main metal theme is there are, I can certainly sense the drums and the cymbals a lot more in the main melody in this one. So that natural you suck rhythm that is in the original song you is kind of interrupted by the drum and cymbal sounds that you get in this one. And I actually feel it takes away from that original song what made that one special. Um, while it, again, is trying to give him that edge, I just, as you say, I don't feel it was necessary. And I don't personally feel that it worked for his character or his style. Right, and luckily WWE realized that because, like I said, they were only around for a few shows. So I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who didn't know that these songs existed at all. And, you know, they're out there, folks. If you want to hear them, they're on Spotify. So there you go. Well, speaking of needless remixes, uh, in July of 06, <laughs> Kurt got another remix of Metal, which coincided with him going to the now-defunct ECW brand. And uh, spoiler alert... This theme will not be used for very long, uh, for certain reasons. This is <laughs> off of WWE Uncaged 3. It's just called Metal Remix. So the changes here are not as drastically different as the I Don't Suck themes are. Uh, it's the same standard tempo, and they still have the Olympic music be at the forefront, which is obviously a very good idea. Still puts a little bit more emphasis on the guitar than usual, but not as drastic as before. The major changes here are the extended intro, which he actually started using prior to this theme with uh, the regular version of Metal in January of 06, and that carried over into this remix here. And the other major change is the added horn melody. Which gives it like an extra flourish, an extra bit of grandiosity to the mix. Again, not something that's bad per se, but not really all that necessary either here. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, the thing I wrote down here in my notes was horns more ceremonial. So... I think it it felt a lot more over the top and maybe a bit more 
you know, King Angle type theme, which, you know, for the what that rebooted ECW was, I don't feel really fitted with that either. Because, um, I mean, that, that rebooted ECW was a trip. You had the zombie man wandering around. You had the rehash sort of Tommy Dreamer, Rhino. Well, you didn't have Rhino, but you had Tommy Dreamer, Sandman. You had Monty Brown for a period of time as well. Great Monty Brown. Um, But, I mean, this song is just so odd. And I think the other thing that it did for me, it sort of sounded like something out of a fantasy game. You know, it had that more airy quality to it. And I don't know whether it's because I've been playing a lot of... um, Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed in my spare time. But it certainly had that kind of weird, you know, cutscene music from a fantasy game. And it, you know, in a way, it totally took me away from pro wrestling and made me stop thinking about Kurt Angle. And I was like... And then, I, and then it sort of finished. And I was like, no, that is a Kurt Angle theme that I didn't really remember. I was like, that is so strange. Um, so it isn't hugely different from the first one, but it certainly had a more profound effect to me when I listened to it than the other ones did. Yeah, very much more of an over-the-top quality to it, with the extra horns and the extended intro. Again, it's a lot more bombastic and a lot more ceremonial. Really, I, I just can't wrap my head around Kurt having all these different remixes of metal, you know, especially <laughs> here with the extended intro, you know, changing up the timing of that intro, it does mess with the flow of my brain somewhat. Uh, similar actually to when AJ Styles had that 2011 remix of I Am. Remember that? Oh, and there was just the, the long kind of silence. Yeah. Where it went, and then it, and then it. you are, you are. Yeah. Like, I'm so used to hearing that one kick drum into the song that hearing anything else just sounds so wrong. But that's me, Andrew. So No, I get it, because you're sort of sat there waiting and waiting for the kind yeah. of the hook that gets you every time. And it would be sort of the same if in, like, you know, Stone Cold with the glass shatter and there's a good sort of 10, 15 seconds before that happens. And you're sort of like, come on, you know, I'm waiting for these guys. Come on, this is, this is strange and wrong. Um, but yeah, I totally know what you mean. Also, there are kind of some dark memories associated with this theme because this was Kurt's last WWE theme for that initial run of the company because he got released in August of 06 because he was broken hurt and he wanted out because they wouldn't give him time off. So he leaves. And unfortunately, he didn't take too long a time off because he was in TNA wrestling a few months <laughs> later. Uh, and, and that's the thing with Kurt. You know, he is one of the all-time greats for sure. And the reason why is because he just, he constantly pushed himself so hard to be the best and to put on great performances. And that will catch up with you sooner or later. You know, doing a moonsault off the top of a cage every time you're in a cage match will catch up with you. And Kurt's dealt with drug addiction and DUIs and he can't extend his legs anymore. I mean, you know, Kurt has paid the price many times over. For what he's accomplished in wrestling. And fortunately, he's okay right now with being clean and sober. But uh, there were some dark days for Kurt. That's for sure, Andrew. Oh, 100%. You know, he didn't, his success and his ability didn't come without a cost. You know, and there were times in, you know, in the, the TNA run in particular where, you know, I think there were a couple of matches with Bobby Roode that were just really awkward. And you could see, you know, certainly by sort of 2015, that while he still could go, the years and years of working had really taken a toll on him. And obviously, you know, the wrestling training for the, you know, the Olympic wrestling, I mean, that take, puts an immense strain on the body as well. 
you know, I know he won the Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck, but just the years and years of wrestling drills and pushing yourself and, and the early starts and stuff, you know, he was coming into wrestling with more wear and tear than a lot of people. And then he was always determined to be the best and put on a show. So you had those huge moonsaults. You had him trying to push himself and make everything look perfect and, you know, have those great matches with everyone. And eventually, you know, he did have those addictions and the DUIs. But I think just in general, the wear and tear caught up with him in the same. It would catch up with everybody else. And I think he had that, you know, that additional sort of six, eight years in the U.S., you know, national team, Olympic team, in addition to what he would have been doing at school and college as well. Yeah, I mean, that Olympic neck injury, that wasn't a one and done. You know, he had to get neck surgery in 03 and 04, and he always came back in relatively short order, you know, with just a couple months off. Yeah, Kurt, see what you will about the guy, but Kurt is a very passionate man when it comes to pro wrestling, and really all wrestling in general, you know, because I watched that footage of him winning the gold medal, and when they announced that, you know, Kurt's the winner, he is on his knees just crying his eyes out because of just how much he went through to get that medal in the first place. So, yeah, Kurt is just so much passion and so much love for what he does. And that comes with a cost. But that's the price that many wrestlers pay, Andrew. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, you saw almost you saw almost 20 years on when there was a suggestion that wrestling might get cut from the Olympics. That kind of run he had in TNA where he was trying to campaign for that not to happen, that wasn't a gimmick. That was genuinely a cause that meant so much to him. Not just, Obviously, the pro wrestling meant a huge amount to him as well, but as you say, that amateur side always meant the world to him, you know, professionally, as a supporter on the sidelines, wherever it may be. That's a huge part of his life, and, you know, he always gave his all no matter what, he might not have, you know, always been people's favourite, but you could never fault the man for his effort and commitment to the cause, no matter what code he was in. This episode of Music of the Mat is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter out the candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 4 out of 5 employers, that's 80% who post on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So like I said, uh, Kurt left WWE in August of 06, and then soon after in September joins TNA Wrestling as, you know, a pretty major get for them, and is instantly a main eventer, to the shock of no one. His new theme song, his first one in TNA, is by Dale Oliver, and it's called My Quest.
Andrew, I'm sure you and many others are well aware of this, but a lot of times when someone goes to TNA, Dale Oliver will just do a ripoff version of the theme song that people know them best for having. Yep. Uh, one of my favorites being Booker T, who literally just had like the Casio keyboard version of his theme song, like note for <laughs> note. <laughs> but with Kurt here, you know, they're doing something different. It's still a ripoff theme, don't get me wrong. But instead of doing a ripoff of metal, which would be the obvious thing to do, they do a ripoff of a song called Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider, which is from uh, 1981. Great song, by the way. And I think there's a reason why they picked this song, of all things, to use for Kurt's theme, which I'll get to in a second here. But regardless, this is a rather interesting choice to go with any song other than metal here, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, sort of in a way it seems fitting because this is such... This feels like such a monumental change from the first song. And it kind of fits the fact that him moving to TNA, he really did cross the line, to pardon the badly telegraphed pun that that was. But it was massive. Him moving there was huge. That felt like a massive get for them at the time. It was a massive get for them. He was a genuine world-class main eventer that they got and no longer... You know, he he added something different and he was a perfect foil for everyone there. And he'd never worked with anyone there. You know, it wasn't a case of, oh, here's a load of WWE cast-offs that he's worked with before in a different guise. You know, it was all fresh matchups with everyone. And this song is so different. You know, there's metal influences in this song that aren't, you know, very prevalent in the other ones. Um you know, for me, the memorable bit is the ooh, ee, ooh type thing at the start with this one. It's the same as the other one with the dun da da dun da da dun It kind of drags you in straight from the off. Um, but yeah, this is... I think the other thing with this one as well, I know I'm rambling, but the other thing with this one, it feels very suited to being like video package background music, you know, like a training montage. This feels perfect for, you know, Kurt doing all the kind of stuff in the gym and trying to you know vignettes for tv this is the sort of thing that i can imagine is perfect for for that yeah it's definitely a great way to establish that this is a fresh start for kurt angle in his career you know he was in wwe for so long well now he's in tna and there's this whole new playground whole new set of wrestlers he can interact with and yeah there, there's christian there there's rhino team 3d guys he's faced before in wwe but you've got aj there you've got joe staying abyss whole bunch of other new guys for Kurt to wrestle. So let's go with a totally new sound and new template for his theme song. One that is based on a rock song. So it has this intensity and this drive to it and this this energy, but it's not so crazy where it's too dark or too heavy for Kurt's character. And yeah, you're not getting the overtly Olympic American hero Patriot vibes anymore with this, but at this point, do you really need them? I mean, because chances are, if you're watching this show you already know who Kurt Angle is. You're aware of his backstory. You don't need the theme to remind you of that. So it is a major departure here in that sense, but one that I don't think is all that unacceptable, Andrew. No, and it's also not like uh, Mike Tanay or Don West didn't mention his Olympic gold medal at all. So, you know, if you were a wrestling fan, that was drummed into you. You didn't necessarily need the overt tone in, in the theme song, as you say, but I think I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a perfect metaphor for what had happened in his career. He had made a massive change, and the theme music is, theme music is a massive change. This is TNA Kurt Angle. 
this is a kind of a new reborn angle in a different setting doing different things. Right, right. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you know the story behind Lunatic Fringe and its connection with wrestling? That will be a pass. Okay, so uh, first of all, it's not just a Dean Ambrose nickname. <laughs> but uh, but back in the, uh, the 80s, there's this movie called Vision Quest. Vision Quest, my quest, little hint there. Uh, it's about this high school wrestler, played by Matthew Modine, who spends the whole movie getting ready for this match against a really tough opponent. And he goes through all this rigorous training and weight cutting to do it. And at the climax of the movie, right before he's about to wrestle this guy, Matthew Modine does this pre-match warm-up by himself in this kind of dark gymnasium. He's on the mat, rolling around, practicing these, you know, takedowns and doing jump rope. And the song playing in the background while he's doing this is Lunatic Fringe. And when the song gets to the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, he bursts through the doors and goes into this other gymnasium that's all lit up, which is full of people, and his teammates are there, and they're all cheering him on. It's it's a really big, you know, hype-up moment. And this movie, Vision Quest, is pretty popular with wrestlers. And this song, Lunatic Fringe, has become an anthem of sorts for them. Um, I know it's been used a bunch in MMA as well. Uh, Dan Henderson used it. Uh, Randy Couture used it. Uh, so this is really just one of those things where if you don't get the reference, it's no big deal. But if you do get the reference, it adds just that little extra bit of depth to the song and reinforces the fact that Kurt Angle is, at heart, an amateur wrestler. This is in his blood. This is who he is. So that's essentially what it all means, Andrew, which I think is a, a pretty cool way to tackle Kurt's theme here. That's really cool, yeah. I didn't know any of that. So that's really cool. And my question for you, would you recommend the film? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a great movie. Um, got a good cast, too. Great soundtrack. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I do <laughs> recommend it for sure. Um, and, and you know what? They even kind of reference it in Kurt's entrance video and the hype video that they played when they announced that Kurt was coming to TNA because it takes place in this smoky, shadowy room. There's a single light overhead. You see Kurt, but it's in silhouette. It's not the red, white, and blue glitz and glamour WWE stuff. It's a lot closer to the more grounded, intense wrestling machine Vision Quest stuff. Uh, again, drawing a line between the two eras there. I mean, hell, his TNA debut is when he comes in and he headbutts Samoa Joe and busts him open. That sets the tone right there that Kurt means serious business, Andrew. He's very much a grizzled veteran by the point he comes. And I think, you know, those those promo vignettes certainly conveyed that. And I, I remember watching back that episode of Impact where he confronts Samoa Joe and that's like, some proper, proper intense stuff that, you know, we don't often see replicated that much in major American promotions anymore. That intensity between those two is amazing. But that's mostly because I love Samoa Joe as well. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the next year, 2007, Kurt gets another new theme in TNA. And this one he would use for the remainder of his TNA run until he leaves in 2016. So really, this is actually the longest consecutive theme song that Kurt ever had in his career. It's off of Meltdown, The Music of TNA Wrestling, Volume 2. It's by Dale Oliver featuring the trademark. Hmm, that name sounds familiar. It's called Gold Medal. I'm 
competition, you're hopeless, I'll trash their ambition. Listen, you want a class on tradition? On one condition, forget the best of the century. Talk about the best of all time, you better mention me. Essentially, I'm the best that's ever gonna be. I hold my ground, you never take it from under me. Don't run to me, it's gonna be trouble. I hit you so many times, you see triple or double instead of one of me. I got more heart, more ways to tear you apart. I lay you down early on, or maybe in the later round. It's no different to me. If you tap out, cash out, or simply pass out for three. Cause you face down, really, barely alive. Cause I'm an animal inside, hear me? So, nothing too complicated about this one. Uh, it basically takes the My Quest theme and spruces it up production-wise, gives it a bit of a hip-hop flair and zest to it, which makes sense because it's a hip-hop theme, of course. A bit weird that Kurt Angle, of all people, has a hip-hop theme because he is one of the whitest guys around, I think. But <laughs> regardless, it is the first and only Kurt Angle theme to have lyrics, which is quite notable. Um, some of those lyrics are a, a bit strange and a bit uh, funny in hindsight, but timing-wise, it, it does kind of make sense because he started using this at Hard Justice 2007, uh, which was the pay-per-view where he beat Samoa Joe to win all the belts in TNA. Uh, so for a brief period of time, Kurt Angle was TNA World Champion, X Division Champion, and Tag Team Champion all by himself. And he was also the IWGP third belt champion during that time period, too. So he had four titles at once. He was a heel. He was dominating the main event scene. He was super arrogant. And what better way to convey all of that stuff, all that dominance, all that arrogance, than with a hip-hop theme, which is usually what a hip-hop theme is supposed to do, Andrew. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this one's great. It's the first lyrical one that he uses... And again, it feels like a change of pace because of the lyrics. It does feel different from the other ones. And there is a, you know, there's a, a braggadocio to it that is there in that, you know, especially, you know, 2007 onwards, because he's an incredible shape at this point as well. Um, and, you know, there's the matches with Joe right off the bat. And then he moves into some other stuff where, okay, he has a, a face run, but he is also a really cocky, despisable heel. Obviously, he won all the belts and it was, you know, he's at the top of the mountain and he got everything. He was the literal king of the mountain in TNA, which everyone expected him to be, and he had everything. And this theme music was just perfect for it. You know, it was perfect to boo because it sucks you right in from the off. It, it's got a good intro that, again, transports you in your mind to, right, this is Kurt. Um, so it was very easy to boo. Um, and I mean, some of the lyrics in this are really interesting as well. Um, so the bit at the start, I'm focused, dead up, don't get up or never let up, ferocious, I'm fed up, to me was a, a reference to his move to TNA, you know, his crossing of the line of he wanted a new challenge, you know, he was working hurt, got his release, made that switch and was doing loads of fresh stuff and he seemed like a man reinvigorated. You know, the first few years there felt so much more hot in hindsight than, say, his last sort of, you know, 15 months with the WWE. Yeah, like you said, there's a little change of pace here with Kurt where he turns heel and gets the Angle Alliance with AJ and Tomko as his goons. And then a little after that, there's the main event Mafia. So he's really building himself up as this even more top dominant force with these stables and these titles. 
And in the song, you've got all that braggadocio stuff in there aplenty. You know, forget the best of the century. You talk about the best of all time, you better mention me. Don't thunder me, it's going to be trouble. Hit you so many times, you'll see triple and double instead of one of me. I got more heart, more ways to tear you apart. I'll lay you down early on. Again, just a bunch of braggadocio lyrics about beating guys up and being dominant on the mat. It references the gold medal as well. So it's not... You know, the most amazing song in the world, of course, but it does get the job done in telling you that Kurt is the best and he will beat you up and he will reign supreme, Andrew. I think, you know, he says, best of all time, you better mention me. You know, it goes back to what I was saying at the start. He's one of the most natural guys to ever do it. You know, he, he is in that. He's not necessarily in the conversation for the best ever, but he's definitely got to be in the conversation for one of the best of the last 15 to 20 years. Just the natural ease with which he, he took to it and, you know, his ability to deliver multiple promotions over a lengthy period of time. I mean, there's some stuff in his run that I don't feel gets as much credit as it probably should. So the stuff with Joe and uh, and Wolf and AJ does. But I mean, there was some stuff in his stuff in there with Jeff Jarrett around 2009 was great. You know, his and Jarrett's matches were really physical, bloody, entertaining um, okay, you could have done without the whole subtext of Karen Angle and the kids and all that kind of stuff. But the matches were really good. Like, they're some of Jarrett's best matches ever, uh, in my view, anyway. And also, I mean, it, there's a match with um, Mr. Anderson. I can't remember what year. I feel like it was 2010 or 2012. I can't remember. There's a match with Anderson in one of those years that I think Meltzer went four and a half on, Um which is great as well, like really good. And some of Anderson's best ever work as well, the period where he was actually hot and entertaining and in good shape. So, you know, I think Kurt was, you know, dynamite with more or less every person he worked with in TNA during that period. He, he got the best out of everyone. You know, he told compelling stories no matter where he was in the card. And I think this fe- this theme was just so synonymous with him. And I think it was good that it never changed as well because – Although he changed, certainly physically and in terms of his ability and his speed, he still felt the same across all those years. He still felt like, you know, Kurt Angle. He always felt the same, even if maybe outwardly was different. I did uh, mention some lyrics that I thought were a a bit funny. Uh, (laughs) You're weak like seven days. Nice pun there. Uh, Then afraid. I'm amazed y'all still step up because I hit more men than Jenna Jameson in better days. You can't clear your heads, you and a Jenna Hayes. Uh, Jenna Hayes, another porn star right there. So good job. <laughs> good job, trademark. <laughs> uh, another great line in this one. You want the man, you got him. And you can spot him every Thursday night on TNA. You know, in hindsight, maybe it's not the best idea in the world to integrate the night that TNA airs into the song for a couple reasons. Number one, if you're hearing Kurt Angle's song, chances are you're already watching Impact. <laughs> That's one thing. And the other reason is because, you know, as we've seen many times with Impact over the years, their time slot, eh, not the most concrete in the world. You know, it's it's been a bit fluid in terms of what night it airs. <laughs> so maybe a little mistake in that regard, uh, Andrew. I mean, it's aired more or less every single day of the week. So, <laughs> uh, and especially when you factor in international broadcast deals as well. I mean, it is basically seven days a week. Um yeah, so, that, I mean, that is odd. And I think somebody else who who had, you know, a, a TNA reference in it anyway, maybe slightly less subtle, or more subtle, should I say, was when MVP debuted in 
Impact TNA, which I'm struggling for a year. I think it was 2014. I think, I think so. Yeah, trying to trying to date here because it, it was definitely before I went to university, and that was in 2015. So yeah, it must have been 2014. His uh, obviously he wrote and rapped his own theme song, um, "Good Man" from VP, "Return of the Ronin," and in that he's sort of like, "I'm here to make an impact." Slap the mat one, two, three. I think it's something like that. Um, but it's so blatant, you know. I'm here to make an impact. Um, and it kind of it felt it, it reminded me of that when I was listening to this. And it's the there's the lyrical reference to, you know, it's on Thursday. I'm on Thursday night on TNA. Um, I think the other lyric as well that I wanted to pick out, and this is a slightly less odd one. Um, no references to porn stars in this one. Um, more ways to tear you apart, or maybe in the later round. You know, to me that kind of went back to the thing I was saying at the beginning about him being a different styling and a different breed to everyone else. He came from a background that was different to most other people. And, you know, since him, there have been a number of people who their amateur wrestling credentials have been emphasized. You know, you think of a a Jack Swagger, Jake Hager. That was always his big thing in WWE was he was a three-time All-American and all that kind of thing. You know, the amateur background suddenly became more important because he had made it more relevant. Um, in the same way I was saying, you know, Shamrock was different and he was, you know, ahead of his time in terms of MMA style real fighters being, you know, seen as better and somehow the flavor of the month for certainly major promotions. And as far as the trademark goes, uh, that name may be familiar to some of you guys out there. Uh, the trademark is John Cena's old rapping buddy from Massachusetts. Uh, he's the one who does the second verse in John Cena's themes. Uh, he's also on John Cena's album, You Can't See Me. He's also the one who actually showed up on TNA programming that one time as Karen Angle's quote-unquote new boyfriend, <laughs> but then swerve, it was all a ruse, and Kurt was in on it the whole time. Oh, the drama of it all, Andrew, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, as I said, the, the Karen Angle stuff was always a, a low point, um, sort of... Same as when the, the whole angle with uh, Daniels and AJ and potentially an affair with Dixie Carter was always a bit odd. But, you know, the extramarital whatever can always, I uh, can always live without. But, um, yeah, he was, Kurt was there through some interesting times. He sort of saw everything and, you know, that theme was there with him. Yeah, I remember in like, uh, what was it, 2008 when Kurt and Karen were going through some uh, kayfabe marriage troubles on the show <laughs> And then later that year, uh, Karen filed for divorce in real life. So uh, living the gimmick there for sure. Um, uh, what's that Randy Savage quote? I did an angle with my wife once. Now I ain't got no wife. Uh, how true. How true. Yeah. But um, but Kurt, you know, Kurt got married again after that. So uh, it all worked out for the best, I think. And he seemed happy and, and healthy and sober in that now. So all good in the hood. So in early 2016, uh, Kurt leaves TNA after a very successful and lengthy time there. And the next year, he would go back to WWE and go to their Hall of Fame and uh, start using metal again. But before he did any of that, Kurt went on a little tour of the indies, uh, including in the UK. He wrestled Zack Sabre Jr. in Rev Pro. He wrestled Joe Hendry in What Culture Pro. He also wrestled in your neck of the woods, Andrew, Scotland, for ICW, against the ace of NXT UK, Mr. Joe Coffey. And uh, unlike those other matches where Kurt used metal, 
In ICW, Kurt used a uh, quote-unquote original song. It's by Neil McDougall off the album The Circle Squared. This is called Olympiad. So the best way I can describe this song is that it's the metal ripoff theme that Dale Oliver never wrote, you know, because Dale and Jimmy Hart, they would be proud of this one for sure, because it has enough of the melody where you can recognize it and say, okay, this is clearly metal, but it changes just enough of it so you don't get sued. So while I don't have a ton else to say about this one, I will applaud ICW and Neil McDougal for going through this uh, whole rigmarole and whole trouble of making a song for Kurt Angle for just one appearance, as opposed to just using metal like everybody else did. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, part of me would think it's probably because they couldn't get the license for either of the other ones. <laughs> um, but, I mean, this is sort of like the Star Spangled Banner meets metal meets new metal, and it's sort of like a weird combination of the three. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's not particularly memorable. It's got loads of drums and cymbals. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's it's very generic, and I think something that's important to note as a I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I know uh, Rob from Voice of Wrestling once suggested my appreciation and interest of ICW was akin to Stockholm syndrome. Um, <laughs> but I mean, essentially, theme music in ICW is not hugely important. Um, it. It's not a huge part of the presentation and the aesthetic of the promotion. You know, there are certain regular members who have discernible themes. So the Filthy Generation, which is Stevie Boy, NXT UK Women's Champion, possibly. I don't really know. Kaylee Ray, um, Lewis Gervin and Aspen Faith. They, their theme music is recognisable. Shah Samuels and Jack Jester, the Kinky Party. Their theme music is also recognisable, but... More or less everyone else, it could change from show to show and it wouldn't be profound or majorly obvious. I mean, the, the big person whose theme music was more recognisable than anybody else's was a certain grader, a star of TV both North and South of Hadrian Wall. Um, I mean, his theme music was obviously, you know, iconic and that's what got him over, really. Um, and he sort of... This is he plays a weird role in a sense because Grado getting signed by TNA led to this sort of weird hatred and dislike of TNA and impact in ICW. I think he had to miss a couple of ICW dates because he was over in America, and then obviously Drew Galloway went there, Drew McIntyre went there, and it was sort of like they're taking our guys away, 
they became the villain in a sense that the WWE never were. TNA became the villain of the piece in ICW, which was quite strange. Um, and I mean, I mean, this this theme comes from an ICW show that is hugely important in you know the development of Brit Res, well, kind of the resurgence of Brit Res, ICW's rise. I mean, ICW's work in pushing Brit Res forward is often maligned a lot. But I mean, they got six thousand people into the Hydro in Glasgow which was a tremendous feat for a promotion that essentially ran in Glasgow, was really grimy and only really got more traction because there was a documentary on the BBC. Um, I mean, this is basically their peak. It, this show cost them an awful lot to run, and in a sense it was a success, but it's massive downslope after this. They run the Hydro the next two years, and they get roughly 4,000 the next year, and then 2,000 the year after that. And it's basically unsustainable to run a, what's, a ten to 15,000-seater music concert events venue and only get 2,000 people in there. Um, so then they moved into what's effectively like a nightclub-come-warehouse place in Glasgow, which takes about 1,000 people, is a lot busier for shows, and generally looks a lot better than a massively empty stadium. But, I mean, this show is is sort of their peak. Um, and I, it's weird because I think Kurt wrestling there would have felt more significant if he hadn't been in the UK for one, an impact tour in 2015. Uh, and then in 2016, he did wrestle for Rev Pro, as you mentioned. And he also wrestled, I think it was three times for What Culture, including against uh, Alberto El Patron. Um and I think, you know, by this point, he was clearly physically, the wear and tear had caught up with him massively. And I actually think working less, i.e. not being with a TV promotion, had made it worse. I think it had accelerated his decline because I think when he was with Impact and he was at least wrestling more regularly, he sort of was able to avoid certain things and whatever. But I mean... This match with Joe Coffey is, is nothing to, to write home about. I mean, the, sh the whole show is very odd. You have Team 3D early on. They wrestle Polo Promotions, which is tag team of Jackie Polo and Mark Coffey. Um, and, I mean, that match is a, it's a mess, essentially, because Team 3D missed their cues a few times. Devon is so, I don't know, it's really sad because I love Brother Devon. And Reverend Devon. Um, but he's sort of, by this point, it's clear that, you know, Devon is not, he's sort of got nine toes out of the door towards retirement. And this is sort of the very dregs of, you know, his Reverend's outfit from 2003. And, you know, it, it's not great. But they get the moment with the tables in the end. So that's that. Lionheart obviously sadly passed away last year. He's on the show. He, he wins a ladder match that is. Badly rushed. Um, Lewis Gervin, a member of the Filthy Generation I mentioned before, he wrestled Ricochet um, in a really great match. Ricochet is amazing on that show. And he does like a massive dive from the ring into the crowd, which obviously, you know, does gathered a lot of attention. And, you know, he was amazing on this show. It's obviously before he signed with uh, the WWE and was resigned to, you know, tag matches on Raw. Um, but, yeah, Kurt's match was the main event. 
Um, and I think Joe Coffey at this point is still very much learning. You know, I think there's a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Joe Coffey and his ability and why he's getting pushed in, you know, NXT UK and whatever. But, you know, he is a competent wrestler. He's always been competent and he's, you know, on his days good. But here he's still quite clearly learning. Um, but I think that helps Kurt in a way because they're able to work a slower, more methodical match that suits Kurt's ability and physical capabilities of that time a lot better. Um, you know, Kurt, consummate professional, hits all the big spots and, you know, does the honourable thing and lets the younger guy go over and he taps out to a Boston Crab, which you didn't see and would do very often before then. Um, so, yeah, that's a little trip down uh, memory lane for ICW. But, yeah, I mean, that was his sort of last, one of his last big independent dates before he then did re-sign with the WWE for what was a, a two-and-a-half-year run where he had some ups and some downs, but, you know, a lot, a lot, lot less wrestling. Well, thank you uh, for that deep dive into ICW. <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> uh, but, um, but, yeah, I, I just love the fact that the opening of the song is the beginning of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say can you see? Like, something about that just makes me giggle. For, for one thing, it's because it's just so on the nose. You know, hey, I'm an American coming into a foreign country. Yeehaw! But, but also, it's Kurt Angle. Like, you don't need to spell it out that much, right? You can just do the metal ripoff itself, and it'll be fine. But uh, apparently, Neil thought, you know what? No. I need the Star Spangled Banner in there for added American emphasis. So you know what? God bless you, Neil. God bless you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't vouch for what they used when Super Crazy came over. I don't know where, how generic that might have been. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's sort of the whole point with ICW. In a sense, the music kind of felt like a, a family show, a camp show, where music was very secondary. So you could kind of get away with something that slightly drunk Scottish wrestling fans might think or might kind of just say, oh, that's Kurt Angle or whatever. I mean, they wouldn't sound like that, but you know what I mean? Something more like, oh, it's Kurt Angle. Come on, lads. Uh, something more along those lines. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it kind of it's similar enough that people know who it is, but it's obviously not too similar where the accusations of licenses and stuff are, are going to come their way. And uh, Neil, by the way, he has a bunch of his music up on Spotify, um, including some ripoff themes for other wrestlers like uh, Mick Foley, Rob Van Dam, um, Hardcore Holly. So he's... They've, all, they've all worked in ICW. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob I Van mean... Dam was there, ooh, 2017 in a triple threat with Lionheart and Zach Gibson. Uh, Bob Holly, I don't know, I'll pass on that one. Uh, Mick Foley was there when Grado won the world title. Well, the ICW world title. So yeah, they've all been there. The Briscoes have been there as well. They got an they got a uh, a very bad reception. <laughs> they were very very much the enemy when they came out, which is quite funny. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, if you want to uh, read some ICW reviews, uh, Andrew, you've done a bunch of them for Voices of Wrestling over the years. Some more positive than others, of course, but uh, still a pretty good resource for people who want to dive into ICW. Yes. There's definitely some a lot more positive than others. Yeah. <laughs> and most vary from some positive to some very, very negative. So. 
All right, well, that was our look at the themes of Kurt Angle, uh, a legend in pro wrestling, a legend in the world of milk and cowboy hats as well. And, <laughs> you know, we, we brought up that Curtis had his fair share of issues over the years, uh, both health-wise and legal-wise. And I won't call him a perfect man by any stretch, but you look at what he's done in wrestling. I mean, there's just an endless supply of great stuff to watch. And to reiterate, you know, for someone like Kurt to come from a legitimate background and not just be so good, but to be so damn entertaining and, and so damn funny as well and so damn great as quickly and for so long, that puts him in, in pretty rarefied air in my book. And now that he's, you know, retired, I hope that he can heal up his body as best he can and live a much healthier life and, and hopefully get his job back too. That's also important, I think. Um, what about you, Andrew? Any final thoughts on Kurt Angle? I think I, I, I mean, I could totally concur with everything you said. He's not, I mean, none of us are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And he's had his, he's had his low points and he's had his moments that I'm sure he himself would, you know, not want to do again if he had his time over, but he has given so much of himself to this kind of weird little sport hobby that we all kind of love so much. And he has a place among, you know, the legends because of the work he's done across multiple promotions. Very few men have pulled off a singlet in a wrestling ring as well as him. You know, he's an esteemed company up there with Rob Van Dam and Johnny Swinger as a, and Shelton Benjamin as my favorite men to, to wear singlets um, in a wrestling ring. And I, yeah, He's a consummate professional and, you know, a guy who's done so much for the industry who I certainly, you know, I would love, I always love watching his stuff back, even if it's like 2002 against Rey Mysterio in, in the opening match of SummerSlam. Um, one of my favourite sprints ever. Um, you know, anything of Kurt's I'd happily watch again. Um, yeah, tremendous wrestler, great singlet wearer, lover of milk. Um and there was something else I was going to say. Yes. And obviously, you know, you, you mentioned his issues and I, I really hope he does get his job back. But even if he doesn't, his abilities, his knowledge and his presence, there will always be somewhere in the industry for him to land. There will always be a promotion very, very grateful for his time and his services. So all the, I know it's a tough time for him, I'm sure, but but I'm sure he'll land on his feet no matter where, where that may be, and he will land on his feet the same as he has throughout the rest of his wrestling career. Well said, well said. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Uh, an absolute pleasure chatting with you about uh, Kurt Angle's themes and his career and, and whatnot. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm still writing regularly about impact for voice of wrestling obviously the the rebellion pay-per-view is sort of being split into two tv specials so i'll work out how i'm gonna cover that in some way so check out my stuff on there i've also been doing some retro stuff in recent weeks so i i've been playing the tna impact video game again uh, i watched the chris candido memorial memorial cup last weekend which was really fun um that yeah that was super fun so if you want to check that out feel free i also watched lockdown 2005 a few weeks ago and i did a retro review of that as well featuring what i think is abyss's greatest ever match um but yeah just support support the, the stuff well you know support voice of the wrestling support whatever but yeah if people want to read my stuff feel free i'm always very grateful to anyone who does so 
And uh, Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. You can discuss this and other episodes at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show... You can do that. Just go to voicesofwrestling.com slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. It'll take you where you need to go. If you do donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. And uh, one more thing here. If you're a VIP member of the PW Torch website, I just did an episode of Alan Forel's ProRes Paradise podcast, where me and Alan talked about some great, great, great New Japan matches from the past few years. Alan is just a true gem of a guy, and it was just so much fun being on that show. That's uh, pwtorch.com. Andrew, thank you again. Uh, Stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you around. The pleasure was all mine, Andrew. Thank you very much. All right, for Andrew Sinclair, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.